I'm going to use two verses of Scripture for our text today. I hope you'll turn to both of them as we read them. Hebrews 9.27 is first, and then we'll read Luke 16.26. Hebrews 9.27, the title of today's message, The Last Goodbye. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And then Luke 16 and verse 26. Luke 16, verse 26. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. It has been my sad experience on many occasions to make that last trip out to the cemetery with the family of a departed loved one who died unsaved. And to stand there and watch as they look for the last time on the remains of that departed loved one. Often in such times I have thought, what hope is there? What comfort is there for those loved ones left behind? And then I had to recognize once again that there is no hope. There is no comfort. <clears throat> if that departed loved one did not know Jesus Christ in the free pardon of sin. Amen. I had to recognize that the last time those loved ones had said goodbye to the departed before he died was in fact the last goodbye. They would never see that loved one again throughout all eternity. In this message, I want us to think for these few moments about the question, why must there be a last goodbye? Why is there coming a time when we will say to our unsaved loved one as he or she goes to work or goes to school some morning, a goodbye that will truly be the last goodbye? These two verses that we've read as our text give us two reasons why there is coming this last goodbye. First of all, this last goodbye must be said someday because every man has an appointment with death. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. God has an appointed time, a decreed time for the death of every person. One day, our days are numbered. The length of our lives is fixed so that we cannot go beyond that appointed length of time. Job 14.5 says, speaking of man in general, his days are determined. The number of his months are with thee. 
Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Death and all things leading to it are appointed by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. However, God does not reveal to us what the length of our lives actually is. Because God has not chosen to reveal to us how long we will live or when we will die, life is uncertain from our point of view. Turn to Proverbs 27 and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1. God's Word says here in Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. No one, whatever his age, can be certain that God's appointed time of death will give him another day or even another hour of life. No one can be certain that he has not already said his last goodbye to his loved ones and friends. Think about those young people that you've known who have died in car wrecks. They were happy, young, full of life, <clears throat> expecting many years, but now they're gone. I once preached a funeral of a United States Marine who was home on furlough. While he was there those few days, he and some buddies went swimming in a gravel pit. He dived off the side of that gravel pit and hit a rock on the way down and was killed. These young people have said their last goodbyes. Think about those men cut down in the prime of life by heart attacks and murder. Little did they think on that last day when they left home and said goodbye to their wives and children that that would be their last goodbye. Some time ago I read about uh, the fact that the average age of men who have heart attacks is 42. Yes, every man has an appointment with death. Because the day of this appointment is unknown to us, we cannot be certain that we have another day to live. On top of this, the life that we have, no matter its length in years, is so very brief and fleeting after all. James 4.14 emphasizes this fact. Let's turn together to it. James chapter 4 and verse 14. This verse emphasizes the brevity and uncertainty of life. James 4, 14. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Oh, how brief this life really is. The average life expectancy is now around 78 in the United States. I'm 81 years old. 
if the Lord graciously grants that I live any longer, then I'm surely near the end. Childhood takes 18 years of our lives. And we're told that sleep takes one-third of our lifetimes. And what about all the time we waste? This doesn't leave very much time at all for our conscious adult life, does it? Do you ever just feel your life slipping away? Time flies much faster for me now than it did 10 years ago. And so there must be a last goodbye someday because every man has an appointment with death. It is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. Why must there be this last goodbye? Why must uh, saved persons expect to someday say goodbye for the very last time? to that unsaved loved one. In the second place, it is because death permanently establishes a person's destiny. The Lord Jesus is telling the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, from which we took the other verse for our text. Lazarus, though a poor beggar, was a saved man. The rich man, though he was rich and comfortable in his luxury, was nevertheless a lost man. The Lord says that when Lazarus died, he went to heaven. But when the rich man died, he went to hell. And in the midst of his sufferings and agonies in hell, he cried out for Abraham to send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and place it on his tongue because he said, I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said to him in verse 26, Between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. From man's point of view, once they had died, their destinies were forever settled. There is a great impassable gulf between heaven and hell. And the Lord Jesus says here, it is fixed. What a terrible word that is. Permanently established so that no one can pass over it. The decree and counsel of God have fixed the gulf between heaven and hell so that none can cross it by any means. When death comes, the soul is permanently settled either in everlasting punishment or in everlasting glory. The saved after death are forever with the Lord. The lost are sent into everlasting destruction where their worm dieth not and their fire is not quenched. The Lord Jesus tells us this in Mark chapter 9. The door of God's mercy is shut at death. Death ends all hope for the lost. 
After death, it is forever too late. If a man dies unrepentant, there is no hope of mercy for him in the next life. There is no hope in hell. So the last goodbye on earth really will be the last goodbye. For the saved loved ones left behind, it will be the last goodbye to the unsaved who die. For the unsaved loved ones left behind, it will be the last goodbye to the saved loved one who has died. Most people evidently never think of dying. You know, I, I've talked to people about having funerals and they do. They absolutely do not want to talk about death or think about death because they tell me the first thing when I walk in the door, I want to just get this over with. I want a short sermon. I want it as short as possible. They don't want to think about death. And they evidently never do in this lifetime. This is either out of a shallow character or else out of a dread of death's bitterness or maybe a little bit of both. But in light of what we've already seen in this message, it is not at all unreasonable to think that the goodbye that you say to your loved one when you go to work or to school tomorrow morning might be your last goodbye. In light of the fact that our next goodbye to our loved ones and friends could well be the last goodbye, there are three very important considerations every one of us need to make today. First, we need to make certain that we as individuals are prepared for death. I said a few moments ago that God has appointed a time for our death and that life is uncertain for us because God doesn't reveal to us when we shall die. And while this is true, it's also true that God is extremely merciful to some of us in that He sometimes gives us a few weeks' notice before we die. We are made aware that we have some dread disease which is terminal and that our time on this earth is but a matter of weeks or months at most. Sometimes God allows ill health or accidents to come our way and in these places our lives in question for a while. God in His merciful providence allows these things and these things ought to lead us to get our spiritual houses in order. Paul says in Romans 2.4 that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. In light of the sure appointment that every man has with death, in light of the fact that the destiny of the soul is forever established at death, and in light of God's providences which are designed to lead us to repentance, we ought to make absolutely certain that we are prepared for death. The second consideration we need to make in light of these things is how to prepare for death. How can a person make preparation for death? 
Well, first of all, and many people never realize this till they actually get to the funeral home and get to arranging a funeral. There are some physical preparations for death that everyone ought to make. And these would include legal preparations, such as making a will. Every head of a household, young or old, ought to make a will and leave his substance, large or small, to his loved ones rather than letting the government get it all. Physical preparations for death also include financial preparations. It costs money to die. Every head of a household ought to have life insurance because life insurance is, in reality, dying insurance. These necessary financial arrangements ought to include provision for your final illness in the hospital your funeral, your burial place. How humiliating to die and leave relatives having to set up a GoFundMe page in order to pay for your funeral. Physical preparations for death ought to include arrangements for your funeral. A person ought to make sure that a gospel sermon is preached at his funeral as one last witness for Christ. You know, I don't want people to stand up there and say, oh, Brother Justice was such a good man. I want them to say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Family arrangements ought to be made in preparation for death. We ought to designate someone in our family to be in charge and to make decisions when the time of our death has come. When we do this, that person left in charge will do what we want done. Well, these are some physical preparations that every one of us ought to make toward the time when we die. But my friends, these physical preparations, important as they are, fade into nothingness beside the importance of spiritual preparations that we must make for death. The facts of our appointment with death and the permanent condition in which death establishes us ought to cause us to examine ourselves as to where we stand with the Lord. Whether we're saved and bound for heaven or lost and bound for hell. They ought to cause us to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. Now, there are some things a man must know in order to be spiritually prepared for death. First, he must know who God is. People today do not know who God is. The average person thinks God is all love and that's all there is to it. person must know who the God of the Bible is. That he is a holy God who demands absolute moral perfection from his creatures and cannot and will not 
tolerate sin. James 2.10 says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. That's the God of the Bible. Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. That's the God of the Bible. He is a God whose holiness causes His wrath to burn against all sin and unrighteousness and who will punish the sinner at last in eternal hell. Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The perfection this holy God demands of His creatures is summed up in His holy law, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. A holy God demands perfect obedience to every one of these laws. And breaking any or all of them is sin and will send you to hell. When a person comes to know who God is and what this God demands of him, he then comes to see what he himself is. A vile, depraved, wretched, miserable, guilty sinner who does not have the holiness or moral perfection God demands of him, but instead has a positive guilt because of his sins. In order to be spiritually prepared for death, a man must also know that because of his sin and guilt, and because of God's justice, he deserves nothing but God's punishment in eternal hell. He must know and recognize that if God sends him to hell, it will be pure justice. And he'll have to say as he goes, Amen, God is just. When the Holy Spirit shows a man that he is a sinner, his sin becomes such a burden to him that nothing will relieve it. Nothing can give rest to his sinful guilt-ridden soul, not his own good works, not his reformed life, not his own decision, not his own church membership, not his baptism. Nothing can give him rest because he has offended the holy and righteous God. Have you ever come to that place? Have you ever become so burdened over your sin that you think you're such a great sinner that God wouldn't save you, then my friend, you're just the type of person the Lord Jesus came to save. In order to make spiritual preparation for death, a man who knows who God is and what he himself is and where he is headed because of what he is must know also the remedy 
for his condition. The remedy for that man's condition is, in a single word, Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth as a man. He came here to save the lost, to heal those who are brokenhearted over their sin, to give rest to those who labor and are heavy laden over their sin and their guilt. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins, says Matthew 1.21. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost, says the Lord in Luke 19.10. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds, says Psalm 147 and verse 3. The Lord Jesus came and worked out in His sinless life that perfect righteousness that God demands in His creatures. He died on Calvary's cross to satisfy God's justice in the place of His people. Paul says in Romans 5, 6, that Christ died for the ungodly. Now I hope you're ungodly today, because if you are, you're one for whom Christ died. Listen, sinner friend, Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient Savior. Everything you could possibly need is to be found in Him. Forgiveness, rest, peace, righteousness before God. Everything you need is to be found in Christ. Christ is the remedy for your condition. You must recognize that there is no other way to be saved but in Jesus Christ. But we need to consider now just what men with such knowledge must do. The man who sees that the holy God has been offended by his sins, that he himself deserves nothing but God's judgment in eternal hell, when he sees that the only remedy for his situation is in Christ and what Christ has done, he must then come to Christ. Not come down here to the front of the church. Come to Christ. Trust in Christ. Believe in Christ. Depend on Christ. Rely on Christ for salvation. He must, as a sinner, come to Christ to have his every need supplied. Turn with me to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. One of the greatest verses in the Word of God for sinners, guilty sinners. Matthew eleven, verse twenty-eight. The words of the Lord Jesus Himself. To sinners. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation is to come to Christ. And that invitation is to those who are who labor and are heavy laden with their sin. Turn from your sin. Turn from your dependence on your own good works. And turn to Christ as your only hope of salvation. Don't look to yourself. 
Don't look even to your prayers or your reforming of your life. Don't look to your baptism. Don't look to your special gifts that you think you have. Look to Christ. Come to Christ. Depend only upon Christ for your acceptance with God. Trust in His righteousness. Trust in His death for sin. Trust Him. Do you want to be saved? Come to, to, come to the Savior. Do you want to be delivered from your sin? Come to the Deliverer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, says the Lord Jesus in John 14, 6. Are you ready? Have you made spiritual preparation for death? If you are ready, what about your family? What about your loved ones and friends? When the lid of the coffin is closed for the last time, is that the last time you'll see that loved one? Will you have said your last goodbye? Oh, the hour is urgent for everyone listening to this message. I don't think we really realize how urgent this matter of salvation for ourselves and our loved ones really is. Time is running out right now. This may be the very last time some of us will ever hear the gospel preached. When you leave this building today, you may say your last goodbye to me, and I may say my last goodbye to you. When you lie down to sleep tonight, you may next awaken in the glories of heaven or in the agonies of hell. This is the day of God's mercy and grace. God's Word commands and invites and encourages and urges and pleads with every sinner to come to Christ. At death, the door of mercy will be forever shut. God's Word urges upon us again and again the urgency of salvation, of being spiritually prepared or death. Listen to Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. And Ecclesiastes 12, 1 says, Remember now thy Creator in the day of thy youth. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let us pray. Our Father, we're grateful for your great and wonderful, gracious gift of salvation. We're grateful for the sweet invitations you give in your word for sinners to come to Christ and be saved. We pray that you would urge upon us the urgency of the hour in which we live, young or old. We pray that we would realize it's appointed unto men once to die but after this, the judgment. Father, we pray that you would save lost sinners as a result of this message today. And it's in Jesus Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen.